You know what? I want everybody who's listening, as well as everybody who's with us right now, to put your fingers in front of your eyes mm-hmm. and make the windshield wiper motion from I'm the video. It. Ready? I'm Do it. it. Okay, right ready? Now. Everybody, let's stop. Ready? Okay. Let me get my green gloves. I'm not that coordinated. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasted. And with that familiar music, you know you are listening to your podcast. I'm Ken Mills, and right now I'm joined by Matthew Porter. Hi, sir. What's up, Ken? Uh, nothing too much. Just trying to make it through the day and get these folks another fine episode of the podcast. That was a very nice episode of the Kiss Room a week ago. Thank you. That was very cool. You had Loretta Caravello and the fellow from ZO2, so it was a pretty good episode, and we encourage folks to check that out. Available on the podcast feed or on the Podomatic page as well, right? Excellent. And at kissroom.com. Thekissroom.com. Got all the links up there. Thanks to you. We're on iTunes and all that good stuff. Fantastic. And we want to talk a little bit about the shirts. We have podcast shirts and we have the Kiss Room shirts, which is just going through the roof. The uh, Kiss Room shirts are, and it's so cool to see everybody wearing them. I love when people post the pictures of themselves wearing them. The fact that we really are getting them all over the world, you know, it's funny. You start with these ideas. I still have the little sketch that I Uh sent you that looked like it was drawn by a four-year-old. You made it look so nice, and they look so good on shirts, and, you know, it's, uh, it's fantastic. And we just want to be clear about this now when you hear podcast history down the road that Matt designed the original <laughs> logo and I refined it. So uh, there you go. So there you go. If you want to check out the shirts, we'll put them in the links and you'll see them on the Facebook page and all all over the place. And on the kissroom.com. On the kissroom.com there's actually a page called shirts and it's uh there's some good shots of people wearing their shirts and all the links to get back to your page and how to order them and hey you can get hoodies it's getting to be hoodie kind of weather mm-hmm. you know you might want a new hoodie with a podkiss logo or a kiss room logo or a zombie or a monkey or whatever you like whatever you like we we've got you covered and so if you like the show and you want the shirt there you go. So so we made this shirt called Mod of Thunder based on some things that were said in the last episode. And I'm not sure anybody would ever want it, but I was making the little graphic for fun anyway. So the shirt's there if you want it. I, I doubt anyone would ever order it. But you'd it's, you'd it's have funny. to be super hardcore to wear that shirt. Yeah, but if you're a Kiss <laughs> fan and you see Mod of Thunder in that picture, you know exactly what's going on. So anyway you really want to be super in or super meta that's the shirt to have well let's check into our podcast mailbag and we have something from scott harding he says enjoying your asylum side one on the way to work this morning matt porter and the rest really nailed the time period for me the beginning of my senior year this along with come out and play were the soundtrack to my life after experimenting with some pop music in 84 genesis belinda carlisle madonna 1985 hit big with Kiss, Twisted Sisters crew, and a bunch of other good stuff. Great times. I can't believe that so far no one has mentioned the 40-foot Kiss logo. Amazing. Well, Scott, thanks for bringing that to our attention. Matt, remember that huge-ass Kiss logo? I think it was one of the most impressive physical Kiss logos that there ever was. And it was back before they hit it before the show. Like So when you walked in, you saw it like right away. I remember uh-huh. thinking, wow, that's crazy. 
and it went from basically the floor of the stage to the the, the top yeah. of the venue basically and it lit up in various ways i remember like the flag lighting up inside of it and there was right. a lot of neat tricks that it did it was it was very astounding and people seem to think that the best shows of kiss or the best theatrics and all that were the early years and really it was like candelabras and a few light bulbs that particular asylum logo was just amazing like i said one of the best physical kiss logos that they had which is not trying to take anything away from the digital kiss logos that we're seeing on the big screens now because they can do literally anything at this point right but it, it was very impressive and i guess you had to be there sadly there's no really great asylum concert footage it's crazy, you know, you'd think that was that they would put something like that out. There must be some in existence. I've seen some really bad stuff, you know, the handheld kind of stuff uh-huh. that exists. But yeah, I really wish we had a, a couple full shows from that. I would love that. I would too. It was a it was a great time and you're gonna hear more about that as we get into side two. But we wanna read a little bit from a listener whose name is Ludsel. Don't know your real name, but this was actually posted on the Kiss Fact message board and I thought this was so cool. I listened to the podcast with my headphones before I went to sleep and couldn't stop laughing in parts. I thought my wife, who is pregnant in less than two weeks from delivering, was going to kick me out of bed. <laughs> there were some great one-liners, especially, so poison never stole from anyone? That means don't eat Taco Bell and Mod of Thunder. <laughs> and BJ had a really cool line. Uh, what was it? But the you know, the one that he he we were talking about different songs, and he said something about Rocky like a hurricane, and he says, you know, that was English as their second language. And you know what? I laughed just as hard when I listened to it back as I did when he said it when we were recording it. I thought that one was just hysterical. Just killer. What a, what a great line. Some of the observations that Mr. Ludsell has is that Kiss weren't trendsetters at this point in their career. No way. Were Motley Crue or any other bands taking their cues from Kiss at that point? If, if anything, it was a collection of Sweet, David Bowie, Kiss, Slade, etc., and simply making it their own. That was the biggest problem with Kiss at this point in their career. They were like a politician looking at polls, deciding which way to legislate. That aside, I still think Asylum is a strong 80s album for the band and underrated. Personally, I've always liked the cover. Something about it takes me back to my childhood. And that's kind of, you know, it it kind of does encapsulate its time, just in the same way that the Destroyer album cover does. And I'm not saying it's any way near as iconic, but you know what you're getting when you pick up that album cover, right? Right. I agree. And now, Deep Thoughts with Gene Simmons. Kiss Pop-Tarts, you'd buy them. Well, I guess it's time to flip over to side two and... We'll introduce the panel today. We have Chris Sinzak, BJ Krampf, Chris Karam, Matt Porter, and myself as we check into Asylum, Side 2. <laughs> okay, here we are on Side 2. Aren't you guys surprised that Paul didn't want that spot, you know, with I'm Alive, instead of, you know, put... Loves a Deadly Weapon at the end of side one. Yeah, you would think so. But then you would have had two Gene songs preceded by two Paul songs. So maybe that's... There's a little story about the the competition between (laughs) Gene and Paul. And I thought it was in Behind the Mask, but it's not. It's actually... You remember the ill-fated Kiss magazine that came out for a little while? Well, the ones that came out were nice. The ones that we never got didn't. I've got one where they go over the videos, and they're talking about the Asylum videos. 
And this girl named, I think her name was Fleur Thymeyer, was their wardrobe person. And she had the story about, you know, she created that look. And the night before the first video, I guess it was for Tears Are Falling, but anyway, the night before they were going to film the first video, she she was having like kind of like writer's block for a designer. She couldn't figure out what to do. So the next morning, she wakes up and rushes down there with all these swatches of different neon colors, thinking the guys would be freaked out, but they went along with it. But they, the guys go upstairs to get dressed and everything to come down, and then like one of them comes down, and then the other one goes back up, and the other one goes down, and the other one goes back up. It's like neither, like the each one of them thought they had to be last out the door or something. It was like this mm. weird competitive thing, and both of them were like vying for her attention to fix things on the on the uh, costumes and she got to the point where she was just exasperated and she's working on one then working on the other and she looks at both of them and she goes if I was an orangutan I could freaking do it with my feet I mean she, <laughs> they drove her crazy on the set of the of the video but and also Gene was going around bugging all of the seamstresses that were making his gown or whatever and like asking how the machine works and stuff and they're like get this guy out of here so. <laughs> Why, was he going to sit down and start sewing? Because she's like this giant monster of a man is going around asking these old women how their sewing machines work. <laughs> That's weird. Well, you know, you kind of... You see, it was the 80s. They were all hot. They were all wearing, like, uh, you know, little seamstress outfits, and they were, like, rocking back and forth in rhythm while they were sewing. How about put that... It's, come well, on, it's the 80s. Well, this, you gotta, well you know, the music of... Yeah. And we know Dean was very picky about what they look like. Weird. It almost sounds like what Mark St. John was talking about when he said that they would pull him from one studio to the other and he'd have to hop in a taxi and kind of sounded similar, like they would use him as a ping pong ball. They did that to Bruce on the recording yeah, of this album. That's true. So, here we so go we on. <laughs> here we go on Love's a Deadly Weapon. Stanley, Swanson, and Beach, which sounds like the weirdest law firm I've ever heard of. Uh, BJ Kahuna, what are your thoughts on Love's a Deadly Weapon? Uh, I really like everything about this song except the chorus, which I think just kind of falls flat. But, you know, the opening riff I like a lot. The verse is really good, but I just don't think the chorus is very good. And this seems like another song where Gene was just pulling out the old tapes and trying to cobble something together. You know, there, there's the song from, I think, the Elder era called Deadly Weapons that I yeah. think Paul wrote. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, Gene has always done a lot of um, cannibalizing of the old tapes, and I think this song's an example. But, you know, better chorus, it would have been a really good song. Well, let me read from KissMonster.com here. It says, Love's a Deadly Weapon. While Paul and Gene had written Deadly Weapons back in 1980-81, the song's transition to the form it would take in 19, 
85 was rather drastic. Taking the chorus of the original demo, Love's a Deadly Weapon, and Murders on My Mind, I Don't Want to Threaten, I'm Leaving You Behind, only the first two lines could survive, though some of the music would be incorporated into the new song. In 1984, his work began on the follow-up to Wendy o. Williams' WOW album, Commander of Chaos. Gene Simmons was again considered for the role of the producer. While he would have to pass due to the projects he was working on, he would do some pre-production work with the band and heard a demo of a song by Rod Swenson in West Beach called Party. Gene liked the riff from the song and borrowed it, hence why Swenson and Beach are credited on the album, even though they didn't sit down with Gene and Paul to try to write the song. With a little arrangement of the old and new parts, Gene had a song with an interesting history. So there you go. Chris Karam, your thoughts on Love's a Deadly Weapon. It's a, it's a pretty good song. It's 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 a I would say it's a notch above a notch or two above Trial by Fire in terms of the Gene songs on this album. Um, you know, it's got a nice drive to it. It I think it starts side two off on a good note, Matt. You know, if Love's a Deadly Weapon, is it a love gun? You know, you never know. Hey, and it's written by half the plasmatic, so it's. I mean, it's funny because I always kind of wondered if, like, this was when Gene was working with the plasmatics. If you could have heard Wendy Williams sing this, I always really liked her voice. People go back and forth on that, but I think it would have made a good plasmatic song. It, it is. I like it. It's a good song. I think it holds up. I mean, it's not the best song on the album, but it's not bad. I like the pace that's on the original demo. Yeah, comparative. Chris Sinzak hated it. Hated it. I agree with you. I think the original demo is a much better song. Um, I don't know. Whenever Kiss does these "Let's Be Fast" songs, I just don't think they're any good. I mean, "No, No, No" off Crazy Nights, I think is awful. I think "Boomerang's" terrible. I just, you know, I, as I said, "I'm Alive" is bad. I just don't think it's a swing and a miss. Um, yeah, I just don't like it. I mean, it's. I think for another band, it might be good, but it just doesn't sound. It sounds disingenuous when I listen to it. There's three songs I hate on this album. I'm Alive, this one, and then one that's coming up in a little while. Well, thank you for giving us a clip. The rest of the album I like. The next track I feel is probably the strongest track on the album. chomping at the bits for this one right yeah even though i think i like who wants to be lonely more but yeah this is an amazing song tears are falling i i think it's inexplicable that it wasn't a hit song i don't get it i don't understand how this was not a hit song at the time paul's vocals are just great on this song and eric's little drum accents bruce's solo is awesome this is just absolutely a great song chris sinzak I agree. I I think it. I think this might be Bruce's best solo, and that's including Unholy. I think this might be my favorite Bruce Kulick solo. Um, but yeah, there's. I th- I don't think there's anything bad about this song. I think it's one of the best things that the band's ever done, and that's including all the the uh, original years. I think it's a great song. Matt Porter. You know what? I want everybody who's listening, as well as everybody who's with us right now, to put your fingers in front of your eyes mm-hmm. and make the windshield wiper motion from I'm the video. It. Ready? I'm Do it. Okay, it right ready? Now. Everybody, let's stop. Ready? Okay. Let me get my green gloves. I'm not that coordinated. 
there, you're all doing it. See, now Thank everybody you. feels better. Are. Now, look, that's one of those things. Even that, like something as silly as that in the video, I do that all the time. I think it's funny, you know, like, and people, it's like one of those kiss kind of in jokes that people know. Like, if, you, if you're in a room and you can do that, Kiss fans will crack up. Everybody knows that. But it's I yeah, I agree with you guys. I think it's a great song. I think it's one of those. This is one I specifically remember was also in super heavy rotation on MTV. And in a lot of ways, I think, pulled people back in who either were not Kiss fans or who had been maybe lost being a Kiss fan when the makeup originally came off. But, I mean, I can remember people singing this in the hallway at school or whatever that you go, oh, you're a Kiss fan? Well, they, they knew, you know, I know tears are falling. And, yeah. and it's, uh, you know, it was one of those things where at the time, you know, it, maybe it wasn't a huge hit as far as, you know, the charts or whatever. But I remember it being a big kind of a hit among people that I knew, you know, and certainly like we were talking about earlier, but with MTV, the, the video was great. You know, I think this one really does seem like where Paul is really now becoming the star. He's the he's really featured in the video. You can tell he probably showed up a couple extra days for some of the filming because he's the only one in parts of it. But uh, I think yeah, it's a great song. Chris Karam. When I first heard this song, I was in my car and it was on the radio. And my first impression was... This is a really good song. They they sound like Kiss, and the reason I say that is because the lead vocal was done in such a different style, like that real raspy thing, that I didn't think it was Kiss until the um, the DJ said, "Oh, that's the new Kiss song." Mm. So and but it's a great song. You know you can't deny it. It was a great lead-off single video, and it's one of those songs that you know endured through the non-makeup era, and with good reason. You know the video is great. It's you know of course it's cheesy in the typical in the style of the other two videos, but this song is yeah it's just a great song. Bruce really does you know step up on this one. You know as as far as making his first you know kind of musical statement as a soloist. Yeah, great all around. I think the lyrical depth there's a a fragile part to the lyrics and Paul's delivery of it is exceptional. Yeah, I really love the way that they uh, did this on the Revenge. A live three tour or whatever. They did that thing where they bomb bomb as they were starting the song as Paul was doing the oh no tears are falling. I thought that was excellent. It should have been on a live three. I agree. Why wasn't it? That was a mistake. Because we needed another version of Detroit Rock City, I guess. I guess. Oh no, tears are falling. Oh no, tears are falling. Oh no, tears are falling.
I don't know why they don't bring it back this year. I think it would be a great song for them to add to the set list, and it can be done. It was good when they did it on the Rock the Nation tour. Yeah, I think this, it's time for this song to come back. So, I know you guys are listening, Gene and Paul. And let's make it happen, y'all. <laughs> uh, right. that, that just rhymed. Anyway, but it, it's an excellent song. Video, it's, it's as as goofy as any 80s video was, but there's that, we're the, tearing the curtains down. It, it just seemed to fit in some weird way, so... I really have nothing bad to say about this song. It might be my favorite track on the album. I've always kind of had a theory that one of the reasons that Kiss didn't have more hit songs or bigger selling albums was maybe Paul Stanley's voice was just a little maybe too unusual or didn't really connect with people. And then with a song like this, his vocals, you know, it doesn't even sound like Paul Stanley like Chris was saying. And I just don't understand why this song wasn't a hit, like a big, big hit, like a living on a prayer type hit. It's really confusing to me. I think it's because there was a bias against Kiss from the probably dating back to the 70s. I I think there's always been a sort of, um, well, if you're Rolling Stone, it's not subtle. But I I just think there's there's always been a bias against Kiss because of, you know, the makeup era. And even though they were making great songs in the 80s, they weren't going to get the recognition because, you know, I'm I'm just kind of surmising here, but, you know, radio programmers, certain people in the media probably just said, we're not going to give them the time of day, even if they deserve it. Absolutely. I blame the volcano in the video. Ah. <laughs> you know, Vinny might have something to do with it too, Chris. You never know. <laughs> he set the volcano up. Yeah, he probably did. He was the volcano tech. Volcanoes, hoses, you know, whichever uh, innuendo you want. According to Paul. Innuendo. Yeah, get it, innuendo. Innuendo, out your window. Or in the front door or on the side door. It doesn't matter. <laughs> According to Paul, the song, quote, is about the exact moment that a relationship is over. Sometimes when someone cries, it says a lot more than a word could ever say. Paul also plays bass on the recording. What, do you expect Gene to? The video for Tears Are Falling... Ah, the video for Tears Are Falling... (laughs) Sorry. The video for Tears Are Falling was filmed in London, England, in late August, early September 1985, and directed by David Mallett. According to Paul, David had some of his favorite videos for... David Bowie and Def Leppard, the decision to film in England was simply made because it's easier to work over there because most of his crew is there. That's also cheaper. Yeah. When Paul arrived in London and saw the Tears Are Falling video set, I remember walking in and being knocked out by the size of the set. I felt it was in some sort of a Hawaiian jungle. It's 95% of performance video. There's a girl in it. So that's his (laughs) summation of it. The single became only the third Kiss single in the United States to feature a picture sleeve. The other two were Flaming Youth and I Love It Loud. Again, using the somewhat garish album cover art, it was backed with Any Way You Slice It in North America and Heavens on Fire Live in some other markets. Unfortunately, the single essentially bombed in on the Billboard singles charts, only reaching a dismal 51 as it fared slightly worse in the UK, reaching only 57, and it didn't chart at all in other countries. It did reach 20 on the U.S. mainstream rock tracks chart. So, Yeah, they should have went with a different cover for the single, for sure. I'm not sure it could have helped it, but it couldn't have hurt it. Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podkissed. I guess we should talk about the album cover. What are your thoughts on the album cover? Well, I was I was really offended that Bruce and Eric were wearing Ace and Peter's lipstick. 
<laughs> right. Isn't there right. part of Eric's face get cut off? Or yeah, you know what? People really kind of trash the album cover, but I mean, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you're gonna are you gonna have them line up in the street single file, and Paul doesn't have shoes on. I mean, at some point, you just have to come up with something to put on the cover. You know, I mean, really, it doesn't look that different if you take it and kind of turn it to the left a little bit. It's almost the Dynasty cover. You know, it's it's not. It's just four faces, and I think in some ways. They're very much saying, look, here we are without the makeup. It's four guys, you know, and, and depending on, I mean, obviously, if you read Paul's book, he kind of makes it seem like nobody even cared anyway, you know, that he was the only one really kind of worrying about Kiss. So probably nobody was really too worried about it. I think all the little swatches of paint kind of go along with the style of the time. It's that kind of messy neon looking, you know, uh, splatter of paint and even the illustration of them on the back, you know, it has a certain kind of a look. I mean, it's just uh, I, I, it's funny. I've heard people really trash the cover. I don't think it's the worst Kiss cover ever, but, you know, it's it, and I think it goes along with what they were doing at the time which, you know, maybe was following everybody else, but uh I like it. I had a shirt with that on, and I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being a bigger guy wearing this white <laughs> T-shirt, just hating it because it was like, this is not a good look. <laughs> well, it, that, it kind of has a new wave feel, yeah. weirdly, oddly. But uh, if you look at the back cover, somehow Eric Carr is the same height as Gene and Paul. Well, I was going to mention he's, that. He's, <laughs> as an artist, all you need to recreate this album cover is a Xerox machine. Uh, seriously, you can you can do some really cool stuff with a watercolor set and a Xerox machine, and uh, it, try it sometime. Anybody well, wants to wait. Asylum resurrected. But but what you what you have here with uh, Eric's car, Eric Carr's legs are actually lengthened. They actually, if you take a look, there's swatches. Right. The swatches, the paint swatches going over Eric Carr's leg are there to kind of hide the fact of what they were trying to do. Well, I read that um, there's a reason it has a new wave feels because there was a, I guess, kind of a new wave band called the Motels yeah. Yeah. that had an album. Yeah. Yeah. And Dennis Wallach said in an interview that Paul came to Dennis and said, I want to do something like this. And he said, Dennis actually said that was one of the best times he ever had with Paul was they both sat together one day and, and did all the painting on this on this album. That's pretty well, you cool. Know, you know, it's funny that, I mean... A lot of people like Matt. I kind of, I, I kind of agree with Matt because I, I've never really had a strong opinion for or against the album cover, and I, I think I kind of agree with Matt. But I will say this: if you compare it to something like Sonic Boom, it's a work of, it's a, it's a ma- artwork masterpiece. Really? In my opinion, yeah. Oh yeah, Sonic Boom was just, it's just basically logos and pictures, and I didn't think it was a very good album cover at all. This at least seems like they put some effort into it in terms of trying to, you know, draw something or make some kind of a artistic statement whether you, you know I, yeah I, I just thought of that I, I didn't think about that prior to doing this but I, I was thinking of Kiss album covers and like what's a really bad Kiss album cover and I thought and I went to Sonic Boom I would go to I would yeah this is definitely better than Sonic Boom from my, from my perspective anyway the album was originally titled Out of the Asylum how do you guys think yep. that, would that have been a better title or I like the title as it is I think it's yeah. a great album title it's fine, yeah, I agree with BJ, it's fine as is. Well, asylum can mean two things. A place that basically you're trapped, you know, uh, or a place that gives you sanctuary. So, you know, I always oh. thought out of, the, out of the asylum would be a great uh, time to break out straight jackets. It would have kind of been close to out of the cellar. Right. And asylum, 
you know, following up Animalize. They, that, I think that's another thing that kind of makes them sister albums in people's minds as the similar album titles, you know? Right. Well, was this album in any way, shape, or form like Destroyer? No. 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 Not no. even close. The reason I'm saying that is because we always got the the, the line. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. This podcast this is, is, is a cross between, you know, yeah. Revenge it's and just Destroyer. like Destroyer in that there are instruments on it. Yeah. Well, I remember one time Gary Schaller and I were talking about uh, Crazy Nights. There, there was an interview that they did around the Crazy Nights time, and they actually say in the video that this album is similar to Destroyer. And Gary said, in what way? And I said, well, it's it's close to Destroyer if you line all the albums up alphabetically. Crazy Nights <laughs> is close <laughs> to Destroyer. So, good one. You know, there you go. It makes some sense now. Okay, so our next track is secretly cruel. As cliched and silly as this song is, I, I really like it. It, it. It's not like, it wouldn't go on a Kiss playlist, but when, if I hear it, you know, when I'm listening to the album, there's just something that makes me smile about it. You know, it's, it's Gene at his cliched 80s best. Maybe not quite as good as Burn Bitch Burn, which is the epitome of his 80s work, but I don't know, it's just, it's just fun and I like it. Matt Porter. See, this one I think is, you know, you talk about Gene pulling together ideas. I mean, this one probably where the verses and the chorus make no sense. Because, first of all, he's saying she's got his pictures on the wall. She's wearing black lingerie and thigh-high boots. She's putting her lips on his face. She's all over him like a cheap suit. But she's somehow secretly cruel. Like, And he think, and in the end, he knows she's going to give it to him. Well, how many clues do you need? I mean, it's like if she's got the pictures on the wall and she's wearing that outfit, I think you have a pretty good chance, Gene. So it's, uh, you know, I always thought that maybe this... And dance all over your face were somehow related because in that you know that song, she says no thigh high boots are forbidden fruits, and in the end that girl is gonna you know he's gonna dance all over her face. So it's are they sisters? I don't know. Come on, bitch. You know it's like one of those things where uh, you can sink your teeth into this. <laughs> yeah, it would seem like if it's secretly cruel that she would lead him on and then pull it away at the last second. Then. That right, but cool. she's she's all over him like a Psych. cheap suit and has lips on his face, and I mean, it sounds like a pretty good day. Or, or, e date. or even if, like lyrically it says here, then she bared herself, aha, uh -huh, and she stripped my soul, began to shake, rattle, roll, then I took control. If it would have been that she took control and was like maybe smacking him and stuff like that, you know, like a dominatrix well, or, you know, kind or of she thing. leaves, you know, and then you come on, baby, yeah. finish what you started, but you know, that's a whole See, that, other topic. But that, that would like be a little bit better, so right. I understand. Okay, okay Chris, guys, you, you guys are putting more thought into this than Gene even. Yeah, I love the scholarly <laughs> interpretation of the secretly cruel lyrics. It's great. You know, hey. <laughs> See, I always go with that uh, quote from Superman where he says, some people can, uh, you know, find a uh, the meaning of life in a chewing gum wrapper. And, uh, you know, hey, you never know. This is a lyrical chewing gum wrapper. Well, Chris, <laughs> probably, yeah, probably well, Chris, Chris Sinzak, your thoughts? I like the song. I know it's, it's definitely not going to win a Pulitzer Prize or anything, but... Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's a, a, a chewing gum wrapper. It's like a great Lois chewing gum wrapper. Did in Superman. It doesn't have to have good taste. It has to taste good. There you go. <laughs> Hold 
Holy shit. Oh my. Wait, I gotta do that. Yeah, you do it. Well, it's like a lot of things in life. It doesn't have to have good taste. It has to taste good. <laughs> Steak and cheesecake. No, it's a cool song. It's a. Uh, it's definitely. It's. It fits right in in the mid '80s of uh, misogynistic lyrics of rock bands, and uh, you know, fits right in. But if uh, if you haven't ever heard it, there's a guy named Double Virgo that did a cover of this song on YouTube, and he does it in a '70s Kiss style, and it's really it's, good. Yeah, really good.
So that's an awesome cover and we'd like to uh, send a shout out to Double Virgo and thank you for doing that. A lot of people really enjoyed it, including us here at the podcast staff. He does a good one of Killer too. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you once again. Uh, According to Gene, this song was inspired by a girl who used to write in and describe all the great things she would do with my pictures. She had this giant poster of me standing sideways. Then she would position herself in a certain way, and that was her thrill. That was in Kerrang! Issue 155. Keywords according to Gene. Yeah. Gene also expanded that. Imaginary baby. (laughs) We talked about this. You talked about uh, associating this album with Destroyer, and it's weird because I always kind of associated this song with Sweet Pain for some reason. They're like in a, the, a similar place on the album, and I don't know. They were we always like partner songs to me. We didn't even get into the the intro riff as a uh, Mr. Speed Steel. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, I think yeah, this I is a pretty that. classic sounding uh, Kiss. I mean, this song could have worked in the 70s, you know? My God, you're right, Chris. It, it's the Mr. Speed riff. Just a little bit of it. Yeah. Well, but even when you go back to his solo album, he says, you know, I know you send me sexy letters. You got my pictures on your wall, that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's that same uh, theme. Gene also has expanded that during a particular liaison on tour with a groupie. They went back to her house where he saw all of the pictures of himself covering the walls of her room. He continues this girl after our uh, liaison. She wanted more. (laughs) And it was obvious if she couldn't, you know, hell hath no fury like a groupie scorned. Do you believe on tour that Gene was going back to the groupie's house? (laughs) No. No. (laughs) She was going back to her trailer. (laughs) Into the restroom. Yeah. Liaison, that's a big word like gymnasium. Yeah, liaison. (laughs) Dangerous gymnasium. Oh, my. So, we love you, Gene. Uh, But this one... (laughs) in the bin for me so all right so our next track is another bin song for me radar for love Stanley and Desmond Child. Chris Karam, your thoughts on Radar for Love? Well, they definitely, uh, Paul definitely consulted his Led Zeppelin riff book for this one. And, you know, it was one of those things, too, that uh, some bands were doing where, you know, the F that wouldn't be on the lyric sheet, but you could clearly hear it in the backing vocals. So, you know, there was a little bit of a, you know, a chortle over that because, you know, things were different back then. You thought you were getting something past your parents or, you know, it was a big thing. Now it's, now it would be nothing. Um, it's okay. It's all right. It's like I said. It's very Zepp influenced, and you know, there's nothing wrong with Led Zeppelin as far as I'm concerned. So, not great, not bad, but I would say it's good. I think in a way, if you know enough songs, everything sounds like something. And sure, this sounds like Led Zeppelin, but if you're going to be inspired by anybody, it might as well be Led Zeppelin. They were certainly getting it from a lot of the uh, early blues players and stuff where that was coming from. It is it is a Zeppelin kind of ripoff, but I mean, why not? I mean, I, I like Led Zeppelin, so it's like, you know, it's well, kind of Black Dog-ish, you know. 
I wouldn't say it was a ripoff. It's just very inspired, and there's nothing wrong with that. Inspired ripoff. It all depends on usually who's getting a check for the royalty. So it's exactly. uh, so you know true. it's good. Chris Sinzak. Uh, this is the other one that I really don't like on the album. Um, it makes sense why they did a, a Zeppelin-sounding song. Well, of course, Paul's heavily influenced by him, but also, if you remember the early to the early '80s, going into around this time, Zeppelin was kind of a they were kind of a people didn't want to reference them as an influence, but because a lot of the heavy metal bands were like, "Oh no, we're heavier than that. We don't want all the stupid stuff that Zeppelin did." But then, right in the mid '80s to the late '80s it suddenly became cool to be a Zeppelin yep. fan again, and people started emulating them more. So I can see why this made the album. I don't think it's a good song. I think, you could, yeah, you can hear the influence, but aside from, yes, it sounds like a Zeppelin song, it's not a very good song, in my opinion. BJ? Yeah, this is my least favorite song on the album. I don't think it's very good at all. Well, I think that had it not been for the next track, you could have just turned the album off uh, two songs ago. Thank God for uh, All Night, written by Paul Stanley, Desmond Child, and John Beauvoir. Chris Sinzak, your thoughts on uh, All Night? Talk about a song where I couldn't love the music more and hate the lyrics more. Because hmm. it's... Uh, <laughs> You know, yeah, Kiss is known for big, dumb sexual lyrics, but this is taking it to a whole other level. And, I mean, the titling a song, uh, all night, I mean, have we run out of ideas, guys? <laughs> Come on. I mean, try a bang, little... Bang, bang, you. Yeah, well, that... Oh, God. Don't and, even... then, and then later, I just want to fuh. Yeah, so, just... To but me, this one... This yeah, is but, the pinnacle of stupid lyrics, in my opinion, but, I'll, but the music is great. I, I think it's a great riff. I can go with you, Chris, but I still think it's much better than fa. So, to me, uh is lyrical genius compared to fa. So, <laughs> I think the lyrics are. I mean, like I said, I know Kiss is known for dumb lyrics, but at the same time, this is this is just a whole different level of it. But musically, it, it's a really solid song, and Bruce has an awesome solo in it. The video is very entertaining as well. What do you think of? Uh, you know, you're mentioning the lyric. Uh, what about how the lyrics delivered? The, the first part of the song, I think, is great. The part where it talks about everywhere around the world. It it, it almost has a dancing in the streets kind of. Uh, yeah, I think the, the the pre-chorus the pre-chorus is cool. I like that part, but everything else I, I could do without lyrically. <laughs> the part it takes a hard-working lover to keep on throwing yeah. the line. Okay, yeah. See, I. I I think this is just a great track, and it's a fun track, and it's desperately needed on this album. You know, I agree. I think in some ways he went from I want to rock and roll all night, which is certainly uh, the subtle way of, of saying you're going to uh all night. Uh-huh. You know, I think uh, it 
it's funny when you look at this is if you watch the video i think to me this video is really one of the height of kind of what was going on with mtv was you know you have these synchronized kind of nurses and they're dancing around in a circle with a bunch you know it's silly but you know what and yeah it's they're not being very subtle at all you know and i think they were going for something that everybody could relate to is oh wow i don't want to go to work but i would really like to go home and get laid and uh you know it's uh it is cheesy, but it you know it's kind of what was going on at the time. Well, it's one of my favorite Kiss videos. I mean, it's a, it's it's Just, one of those you can enjoy it with the sound down because yeah. all those girls look really nice. So it's uh, why not? Those where they're pushing the beds and it's right everything. It's just. Get the back view, and <laughs> I, I'm talking way too much for a married guy. Anyway, BJ, your thoughts? <laughs> well, what's funny about this song is to me, it's a really classic sounding Paul Stanley song that I could hear on like Rock and Roll Over or mm-hmm. his solo album, but then you have this John Beauvoir chorus like shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. But you know, the verse and the bridge or the pre-chorus or whatever is really a classic Paul Stanley song, but then the chorus uh, kind of doesn't really fit to me. It's, it's kind of an awkward transition, and yeah, it's pretty dumb. But it really had the potential with the different chorus to be awesome, I think. Well, Paul Stanley justifies the nature of the song, quote, Son of Heaven's on Fire meets Tomorrow and Tonight in a Dark Alley. Not necessarily a bad song. Definitely the best I could do in this genre at that time. I've always wanted us to have anthems, songs that were singable for anybody, whether they could actually sing or not. So the choruses tended to be simple enough that they were somewhere between chanting and singing. Mr. Chris Karam. I love this song. It, it's cheesy, like Matt said, and it's got all the cliches from the video and the you know the cliches of '80s metal videos. But you know what? So what? It's it's a lot of fun. And I always think back to this uh, time I was in a car with some friends, and all of a sudden this girl who I wouldn't have taken for a Kiss fan at all just was singing along with it, like. And she may not have been a Kiss fan, I think, but I think lyrically it spoke to her. And I tried to speak to her later, but it didn't work out. Didn't anyway. The um, transition yeah. didn't work. The transition, yeah, yeah. I just didn't have the, I didn't have my moves back then. I, I wouldn't know a move if it bit me on the. Anyway. Well, you said, "Hey, do you want to uh, all night?" And she said, yeah. "You mean this song?" Or, "Oh, no, no, no. I have different plans." Actually, she said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, all night." <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, don't even, I don't even know if I got that far. <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, uh. All night. That's what I got. Uh, uh. All night. That's what you're getting. Uh, 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 uh. All night, every night. Denied. <laughs> no, I, it's great though. It, it's it's just a fun song, and I think it's a good way to end the album. You know, ends it on a kind of gang vocal. You know, just fun. That's all it is. And this is the one with the captain's hat, which yeah, would lead right. to right, right. which would lead Ken Mills in a band called The Change wearing a captain's hat. <laughs> Where is so that? Where's the audio of that, too? You know, we got to hear you singing Shandy. That was pretty great. Some things. <laughs> something. <laughs> there was a band I was in. We played with Kicks. If anybody in the Baltimore, wow. uh, Washington, D.C., Hammerjacks crowd remembers us, we were in a band called Mr. Monster. I was the ugliest one. That's all I can say. <laughs> <sighs> so, if if you have pictures of that, please burn them. Uh, <laughs> part-time Kiss bassist Jean Beauvoir 
uh, <laughs> played bass on that's this right. recording. And that's right. And sang backing vocals. The song would be the second promotional video issued off the album and it filmed in England at the same time as the Who Wants to Be Lonely video. Released in December of 1985, Paul recalled the filming of the video literally about five days before the tour was about to start. We flew back to London and we shot back to back Who Wants to Be Lonely and uh, All Night. Again, it was just a gas. So... The following month, the song was released to radio stations as a promotional 12-inch format, though not domestically released in the United States, unlike some other international markets, which would get a proper single of the song. So, there's a little bit of infotainment about that. Uh, infotainment. I just think it's a it's a fun song, fun video, and when I think back to the 80s and MTV... Kiss looked pretty good there, and they were all over MTV with these three videos. Do you guys remember it that way? Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm surprised that this song didn't do better. On the other hand, if you took a look at how things were going at the time, it seemed like there was a new metal sensation coming out every week, whether it be Ron Keel or Ezo. <laughs> Oh my God! Or some other ones we can mention, but uh, there was some guys like Bon Jovi. They kind of made a dent. There was all these bands. It just seemed like they were popping out of the woodwork faster than we could purchase them. I remember buying tons of music at this time, and it was Absolutely. strange. To me, it was all heavy metal, all this stuff. And you know, people say this is not heavy metal. Well. I disagree. I think Kiss is heavy metal. I think Alice Cooper is heavy metal. And I'm sure that there are people on this panel who would disagree with me on that, right? Well, at the time in 85, it was definitely considered heavy metal. But, you know, the definition of heavy metal has really yeah, uh, well, to been me, warped over time and, by various fan bases of you know, various other shit. And, excellent well, way to put it, warped. Because yeah. heavy metal to me starts with Steppenwolf's heavy metal thunder and... All that stuff, and Led Zeppelin, and we, Alice Cooper, and all that stuff, and it we just... Are, we were having a debate about that at work the other day. Like, what is the first heavy metal song? And and I put this forward, and it kind of got debunked or not agreed with, but I say Helter Skelter by the Beatles is the first heavy metal song. It could be. But it seems like heavy metal to... It seems like heavy metal at this point is a barking dog over a jackhammer. <laughs> And a washing machine that's off kilter. That's no That's not good. That's That's real good. That's really nothing I want to be part of. We're talking about MTV. I mean, obviously, Heavy Metal Mania, that was the precursor to Headbangers Ball, was hosted by D. Snyder. Was you know Def Leppard and Quiet Riot, and that was, but it was Heavy Metal Mania. And as MTV was setting the style, like we said, I think they were defining that that was what was considered heavy metal. You know, and yeah, it's changed a lot over the years. What it's, I've always just considered Kiss a rock band. You know, more than any label, but I think Heavy Metal that was that was definitely the, the definitely the label hung on everybody with guitars and kind of long hair, and I, I think so anyway. I remember going to the record stores at the time, and remember those folks? Record yeah. stores? Oh, I man, those. I love those. And you would uh, plop your purchases on the counter, and I remember buying everything from 
Iron Maiden, uh, Motley Crue, Kiss, Anthrax, and it was all valid. It was all hard rock. It was all metal, you know. So it was kind of cool. So just real quick, uh, Chris Sinzak, what's your thoughts? Just would you recommend it to a Kiss fan or a non-Kiss fan? Yeah, I would uh, recommend it to either. I mean, if you're a fan of '80s metal or '80s hard rock, I mean, it, it's a it's a good album. I mean, if you if you're stuck in the uh, originals '70s Kiss, then it's not for you. Um, this is the era that I fell in love with the band, so this lineup was my lineup. So I'm a little bit biased because I got into the band around this time. But uh, yeah, I think the album holds up. I mean, as Chris said earlier in the show, it, you know, they probably could have used an outside producer's opinion, and I think they could have cut down on the use of drum machines. Um, but hey, it was '85. They were doing the best they could, and uh, yeah, it was the it was the beginning of a very solid foursome that they had with uh, Bruce and Eric. And I have nothing but good memories of the, of this album and this era of the band. Well, thank you, Chris Sinzak. And of course, folks can catch you on the Decibel Geek show, and uh, we're proud friends of that show. So check them out. Thanks, and uh, yeah, we're uh, I'll be getting with you about some more deep thoughts with Gene Simmons very soon. Oh, excellent, excellent. As a matter of fact, I'm going to play Love one that. of those right now. And now, Deep Thoughts with Gene Simmons. Sometimes I wonder why in the hell that itsy-bitsy spider kept trying to climb up that damn water spout. Stupid-ass spiders. That's why they don't have space flight, or tacos, or gymnasiums, or huge books named Monster. And you can hear those on the Decibel Geek. That's kind of like the brainchild of uh, Chris and... Uh, we're, we're doing those and we're having fun with those. So thank you for being on this episode, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you guys again. <laughs> BJ? Yeah, I would say this is probably my personal favorite Kiss album of the 80s. And um, like we've said, like I think most of, most of us have agreed, Who Wants to Be Lonely and Tears Are Falling are probably two of the strongest songs in their catalog. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, to, to judge the album based just on what they were wearing or whatever people think about the album cover is a big mistake because um, it's a really strong album and it's a fun record. You know, it's a fun 80s metal album. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And BJ, folks can hear you on the Cheap Talk with Trick Chat podcast and the Rock and or Roll podcast. You are the reluctant host of that, so... We That's thank right. you for being on this episode and discussing Asylum with us. So, thank you. See thank you, you Ken. All right, <laughs> bye, guys. See you, BJ. Yep, bye. So, uh, last thoughts, um, Chris Karam? You know, it, it's it's a good album. It's not great. I, I think it's just sort of in the middle for me, but it, there's certainly worse Kiss albums in the catalog, and it's not one of my favorites, but it's not something I would condemn either. It's, you know, it's of its time, and... I think it may suffer a little bit from the fact that they were on that album tour, album tour treadmill, you know, where they were doing it like all the time and knocking out an album once a year. Right, I agree. But you know, which and and you know, you'll notice they waited two years for the next one. That'll be another discussion, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And they got some better results, from my opinion, from from taking some time off and getting a producer. But again, that that'll be the crazy night show. But uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Well, we want to thank you for being on this episode, Chris. Thank you for having me on the episode, as always. Well, Matt Porter, your thoughts on Asylum, just uh, your overview, your end view, if you will. Well, you know, like I said at the start, I mean, it holds a special spot in my mind because it was I was a senior in high school and it was a good time. And I really like all the hair metal, you know, for lack of a better word. I, I really liked everything at that time. And that was everywhere. 
And I mean, we didn't really even talk about it, but I think the tour was a lot of fun. And it was, for me, it was the first time I ever saw Kiss live, which I know a lot of the diehard listeners out there that are going, oh my God, that's like really late in the game to be seeing them live. But it was um, April 1st, 1986, was uh, Stabler Arena in Allentown. And, you know, they opened with Detroit, Detroit Rock City right into Fits Like a Glove. You got, you got Detroit Rock City, Fits Like a Glove, Creatures of the Night, Cold Gin, you know, and uh, All Night into Calling Dr. Love. I mean, it's a good set. It's, something you, it's songs you're not going to hear again live. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, so for me, that was a big deal. And I think so I, I, I do tend to lump a lot of Asylum, Animalize, you know, that kind of era into one big, the non-makeup era. And anymore, I mean, a lot of time I'll pull those out, you know, at random times. They're all very, I think, kind of upbeat, fun albums. So I really like it. I remember it being a really good time. You know, it was something, that, you know, I think about that time in my life. And obviously this was always part of the soundtrack. So, uh, you know, thumbs up from me. And uh, I, I think it's a good album. Well, everybody out there, uh, you all have your MP3s now. Make a mix or just a playlist and substitute either Secretly Cruel or Radar for Love with Thrills in the Night and see how that works as an album for you. Put Dance All Over Your Face right next to Secretly Cruel. Oh, man. <laughs> um, no, 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 you do that, not me. Okay. <laughs> That's my album. Well, you know, you mentioned the live show. The, this was a great tour. That was my first one. I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's funny. I, you know, I remember we had seats. If you go into that Kiss Alive Forever, the complete touring history, they note that Stabler Arena, which only holds about a little over six thousand, they say that it's only that it was only about half full. Now, at the time, I remember it seeming very full, uh-huh. and we remember. I mean, and I say we because I was with my brother, and. Gene kept pointing right at us, and I'm positive it's because we were rocking out more than anybody, even all the way up in the cheap seats. And then, you know, you come to realize it's because his follow spot was right behind us. That's how high up we were in the in the arena, and he's just pointing at the light. But I remember specifically thinking, he knows we're we are just such fans, and he can see us going crazy. And it was you know, just it's <laughs> weird because I remember being in Cleveland and Dayton and uh, the Cap Center seeing all those shows and I thought the same thing right he's looking right at me they, they have a way of connecting with the audience and it's awesome I, I yep. saw this tour I think four times this this exact Yikes. tour and we, we followed it we, we, we kind of followed the tour for a while and uh, it, because I had family that lived out uh, on the coast and then you know so it was just like an excuse to go hang out and just have fun and it was a great time to be a KISS fan. And there's people that want to knock the non-makeup years. But I'm telling you, this was a blast. I had a good time. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think if you handed somebody now who was just getting into the band the entire stack of CDs, I don't know that it's the album you'd give to them first or what they're going to think of if, like, you know, as you look at the first bunch of albums and it's it, it almost it's almost a very different band but in the same way it's just part of the huge puzzle like you know maybe one day i'm in the mood for this one day i'm in the mood for that and it's all there and it was just what was coming out and i think having been a fan forever it was just what was going on with kiss and and i enjoyed the hell out of it so it's just and still do love it and there's nothing wrong with enjoying kiss right matt amen 
We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the podcast, and we will see you on the Kiss Room. Nice. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkist.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podcast crew, thank you for listening to Podcast, the KISS fanzine for your ears. Check out these ads for the following shows. We're proud to call these guys the friends of the Podkiss Network. We are one. That's right, Kiss Army. We're having a rock and roll party, and you are invited. Tune into the Strange Ways Kiss Podcast and hang out with your Kiss Army brothers, Jody Habnock, Clinton Harris, and D Rock. Join us where we celebrate and discuss the gods of thunder. That's Strange Ways Kiss Podcast. You can find us on Facebook or Podomatic.com. We'll see you there. You wanted the best, you got the best. And if you want the hottest show on Monco Radio, join us in the Kiss Room. The Kiss Room is a monthly radio broadcast celebrating the hottest band in the world. It's your place for all things Kiss and some. For broadcast dates and all information, go to thekissroom.com. The Kiss Room broadcasts live and worldwide on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. This is a really big moment. I am Cassius Morris, host of KISS podcast, Creatures of the Net. Our show content includes current events of the hottest band in the land, exclusive interviews, and the trials and tribulations of being a KISS fan. You can check out our show at www.creaturesofthenet.com and on Facebook or Twitter. And if you don't know the website name by now, we'll see you here. History Science Theater, the most civilized? Oh, Oh, f- <laughs> come on! Respectful. Just imagine Gene it's with like, like a with like a washtub base. <laughs> and serious. No wait. Excuse me, Bob. You're gonna come over and do my album. <laughs> Kiss podcast on the web. History science theory. We bust balls because we care. Doctors define modern rock disorder as a sudden, intense drop in musical taste affecting all facets of the victim's lives and the lives of those around them. Over 20 million Americans suffer. Do you? Is your newfound love of Axe body spray, leather wristbands, and mountains of hair care products driving those close to you crazy? 
Has your overwhelming desire to crank Nickelback, drink a sixer of Natty Ice, and yell at girls from the back of a pickup truck seriously impaired your work or social life? The Decibel Geek Podcast offers new hope. The Decibel Geek Podcast, the only podcast proven effective for MRD. The Decibel Geek Podcast corrects the chemical imbalance created by listening to bands like Theory of a Dead Man and Three Doors Down, so that with time and your hosts, Chris and Aaron's help, you can move toward recovery. MRD hurts. The Decibel Geek Podcast can help. Visit www.decibelgeek.com to begin the road to recovery. Somewhere, someone is needing to hear from you. Someone needing to know that you care. Care enough to give the gift of Podkist. Tell a friend about Podkist today. Download us on iTunes. Friend us on Facebook. And rock your ass out. Podkist. <laughs> this, chihuahua thinks she, these, this chihuahua thinks that she owns the universe. <laughs> this is a my bad kind of scenario. Totally. I had no idea you couldn't light a car on fire in Los Angeles. Now we know. Can't burn a car anywhere, actually. Oh, you, oh, you, yeah, can. you can. I've burned like 40 cars, never been arrested. You should, you should, it's a great way to get rid of evidence. Yeah. Probably shouldn't tell me that. We're on the same team here. We're, we're detectives. For now, when we solve our friend's murder, we will become vigilantes. Yes. That's illegal. You can't be a vigilante. Why? Why? Batman does it. There's no such thing as Batman and being what? a vigilante. What? You are so wrong. If you go to Gotham right now, Batman is is taking the line to his own hands. Batman is a fictitious character. Batman is the alter ego of Bruce Wayne. Who's who's a real person. Obviously. In the movie, he's a real... In the documentaries. I'm sorry? There's like a million documentaries about Batman. There's one from the 70s, then there's some from the 90s, and they just had three in the last, like, decade. There's like three new documentaries about Batman. Do you have any idea what the term documentary means? Yeah, non-porno movies. With with real people. English patient. You guys belong in a mental institution. That's how we met, actually. It was lovely. Look. This place is nice. Right? I'm glad you wore your nice flip-flops. I'm here to avenge a friend's death. Spaz. Spaz, who you know. You killed. Uh, And and, uh, in doing so, it will mean that your life will come to an end. You're not going to kill me, because I'm going to make your dreams come true. I've seen your stuff. Wait, no, you haven't. What? Toebangers 3? What? 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 Come on! Listen to me. Amateur porn is all the rage right now. It's so hard for professionals to make amateur porn look really amateur. Oh, we're great at that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, we are amateurs. Yeah, I make all the sex sounds with my mouth afterwards. <laughs> Squish. <laughs>